Hello and welcome to another episode of Coping with COVID-19. Thanks for joining us both on video and uh, audio. Um, I'm Michael Kern from the Ottawa Business Journal. Today we continue our weekly discussion with OBJ's editors to go behind the headlines. The goal is to provide OBJ's audience with the top stories of the week. Let's meet our editors now. First off, we've got Peter Cavesi, OBJ's head of content. Welcome, Peter. Hi, Mike. And we have uh, David Sally, who's leading up uh, these days OBJ's web reporting. Hello, Dave. Hey, Mike. So, Dave, we're going to start with you. Um, uh, obviously, the uh, May long weekend is uh, upon us. And after weeks of uh, quarantine, people are eager to get outside, Dave, and enjoy the weather. Um, getting outside in May, if you're in Ottawa, often includes visiting hundreds and hundreds of tulip beds around Ottawa. Millions of tulips, I think. Uh, of course, that can't be done in person uh, this year, but the Tulip Festival continues. Uh, tell us about what uh, the event organizers told you this week. Well, yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Obviously, uh, the Tulip Festival has become a, um, uh, you know, a, a very cherished uh, tradition in Ottawa. It's been running for over 50 years and uh, draws hundreds of thousands of tourists in a typical year. But as we know, this year is anything but typical. Uh, so rather than the, the usual assortment of music concerts, uh, food and drink venues that you would find at Commissioner's Park um, in, an, in a normal year, uh, this year, Tula Festival organizers had to, um, had to move the festival online. And um, while that means people can't be out walking around and, um, and uh, uh, sampling the usual slate of events, it, um, it does mean that, uh, that the Tulip Festival has still been able uh, uh, to offer um, some virtual events, things like music videos, photo exhibits, uh, articles on its website and its social media channels uh, like Facebook and YouTube uh, that commemorate uh, this year's theme is the 75th anniversary of the liberation of the Netherlands during the Second World War. Uh, it runs until May 18th, and the Tulip Festival says it's doing quite well in terms of holding on to its corporate sponsors. Uh, in fact, officials told me this week that the festival is actually on track to uh, surpass last year's total sponsorship revenues of 61,000. Um, they had already raised about $45,000 as of the beginning of this week uh, from names like CIBC, Hilton, and uh, Royal Dutch Airlines, actually, the, uh, simply because the festival is, um, is actually targeting a lot of its advertising this year at the Netherlands. Since it's online, hey, you, you, can, um, you can get eyeballs from anywhere around the world on the uh, festival's website. Um, and that uh, seems to be paying off for organizers. Um, they also said uh, federal provincial grants are up about $100,000 over last year. So from a financial perspective, the move online has not been the detriment you might think it would be. Um, in terms of the number of people visiting the website, well, after the first three days, it had drawn a total of about 29,000 unique visitors to the site and 66,000 page views. Uh, and its uh, Facebook page had uh, gotten about uh, 6,400 views. And the uh, YouTube channel had gotten um, around 3,300 views. So. So far, organizers said they're quite impressed with how that's going. And, um, and you know, just the fact that they're able to keep the festival going, even in a virtual uh, incarnation, is, um, 
is really important. Um, and obviously they hope it'll be back uh, outside again next year uh, with a full complement of activities. Um, but for right now, things, um, uh, you know, things seem to be going, uh, going quite well for the Tulip Festival. So, so the takeaway obviously is businesses aren't the uh, only organizations adjusting their business models. You know, the Tulip Festival has done a done a great job with that and uh, retaining its sponsors. So that's pretty neat. Uh, by the way, we just played some B roll of the Tulip Festival. That was from last year, so people are are still social distancing and, and doing this uh, online. Um, Peter, let's go to you uh, next. If there was a uh, a big theme. Uh, for business news headlines this week. It was certainly the reopening of various types of businesses. We've heard about uh, golf courses. We've heard about retail operations. Uh, what did uh, OBJ report on? So we took a look at the health and safety side about what it's going to take for employers to safely operate uh, their their offices in this in this new era. Um, there's a whole bunch of new concerns uh, that are uh, and new issues that are starting to emerge. Uh, let's just take one. Um, can employers ask their employees to start wearing masks and start taking their temperatures uh, before they can uh, can come into the office? Um, you know, we've already started to see signs of that. Uh, Tim Hortons made headlines in uh, uh, late uh, late April by uh, by announcing that. It its employees would uh, would uh, have to start uh, abiding by those uh, those conditions uh, as part of its um, um, effort to create a, a self and safe and healthy uh, workplace. So we spoke to a few employment lawyers uh, to explore these and some uh, other issues. Um, you know, uh, the answers that that we heard is that uh, it's really going to depend on the type of workplace. Certainly, um, places like uh, seniors' homes or childcare centers there would make a lot of sense to have these measures. Uh, office space—that's a bit more of uh, of a gray area. And there's sort of two key two key takeaways that uh, that we heard is that uh, the first one is that it's really important that uh, for there to be consistency and for a any sort of policies to be uh, written down. The thing that uh, that you don't want to be doing is to be um, forcing certain groups within your workplace and not others to uh, to abide by these conditions. Uh, and the other uh, important takeaway is to really be monitoring uh, the guidance from public health officials uh, as far as what their recommendations uh, are. One of the other, um, I guess, parts of parts of this story that's uh, really interesting is this idea of what happens if I have a vulnerable family member at home and I'm worried that by going to work that I might uh, be uh, potentially bringing home something, uh, uh, a virus uh, that could have uh, very, very serious consequences for uh, for people in uh, in my household. And, uh, you know, as much as, uh, as a lot of people would love to give one, you know, straightforward answer, you know, the uh, what we heard is that it really sort of does depend depend. Uh, there are various options uh, available to um, employers and employees uh, about uh, various forms of uh, family leave and different uh, accommodation um, options. But one of the, uh, again, the, the overriding message is that uh, it's important for there to be open lines of communication between employers and employees to sort of talk about uh, what um, what both sides are are dealing with and uh, looking to to explore different uh, different solutions. Um, great points, Peter. Those are going to be some of the key issues that almost all businesses will be dealing with as we see uh, return to work and, and companies reopening. We're going to move to uh, our third uh, story. So we'll go back to you, Dave. So as as you know, and you've reported on it, that um, there's been a long-standing discussion in Ottawa about how we can uh, get more business from uh, film and TV production. 
And there was some uh, big news um, uh, months ago that Ottawa will be getting a soundstage at some uh, some time. But uh, with the pandemic and social distancing, it means uh, that for, for the most part, uh, live productions of TV and film have been shut down. So you would think that would be bad news for Ottawa, but you actually found a, uh, a sector uh, of the entertainment business that is doing really well. So tell us about that, Dave. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. Um, as you mentioned, I, we, we, uh, we will have a soundstage coming and, uh, and that'll be great once, um, once we're allowed to actually have uh, crews gathering on a set again uh, and producing new live action content. But as we all know right now, that simply isn't possible under physical distancing guidelines anywhere in uh, North America and mostly around the world. So Hollywood has essentially shut down all of its live productions. But as we all know, there are millions of us uh, cooped up inside right now that are a captive audience for content on all kinds of streaming services. And, um, and studios still need to supply that content. And one way they can do it is through animated uh, uh, features and programming. Well, a number of Ottawa studios are taking advantage of that. Ottawa is a, quite a hotbed for animation. It has been for decades. Um, and, uh, and you now see, I talked to a couple of local companies this week who say that business is really picking up since the pandemic because you've got services like Netflix and and Amazon and Disney that are all clamoring for new content to, to serve audiences that are that are hungering for something new to watch. So uh, Big Jump Entertainment is a local company uh, that actually uh, has done animated spin-offs of live action series like the Trailer Park Boys. Well, recently they got a call from a, from a Toronto studio asking for help to uh, make an animated episode of a live action show that had to halt its production. That's um, uh, that's actually uh, from a network called Pop TV in the U.S. that uh, that does a reboot of One Day at a Time. Um, that was a popular sitcom that those of us of a certain age will remember from the 70s and 80s, and it's it's doing a completely animated episode of the series, which is something that's almost unheard of. But because it can't actually film any live action episodes right now, it needs to do something. So. Um, uh, the uh, the uh, head of the big jump, Rick Morrison, says he's already talking to other studios in LA about potentially following their lead and doing animated versions of live action shows or converting um, uh, uh, concepts that were intended to be live action to animation instead. Uh, that's just one aspect of where he says uh, th there, there could be a whole new revenue stream for his company. Uh, other companies in Ottawa are also seeing the phone ringing off the hook. Uh, Atomic Cartoons in Hintonburg uh, says it's uh, it's hiring. It's been hiring people throughout the uh, pandemic and shutdown um, it, it, because it knows it's going to be um, it's going to be seeing an increased demand for uh, for new content from services like Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus. Um, studio manager Chris Whiteman said every company, every animation firm in the city is is just uh, is working full tilt right now to meet the demand, and um, and they can't. The biggest problem is they can't hire enough artists to keep up to staff. And as he says, that's a pretty good problem to have. So um, so really, uh, it, you know, it's um, th this has been one area where um, uh, where a local industry has really benefited from a huge widespread shutdown um, 
in content production among the major studios. Okay, Dave, so you and I are old enough to remember One Day at a Time, and I'm struggling to remember what the heck that show was about. Is that with Schneider, the superintendent of the building? Do yep. I got that right? Or Schneider, the superintendent. Yeah, exactly. Always had the okay. cigarette pack there under his, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Bonnie Franklin was the star. Uh, I don't know why I remember that, but yes, that's the one. Okay. Uh, Valerie Bertinelli, is that, was that her name? Yeah, Valerie Bertinelli and Mackenzie Phillips uh, were the other okay. were the daughters, I believe. Yeah. Well, there you go. You're getting all all the behind the headlines of value right there, Dave. When we remember that's your, uh, that's your <laughs> remember that old TV sitcom trivia right there. Yeah. Yeah. So listen, guys, we're going to uh, wrap up here in just a minute. But before we do, I want to bring Peter back in again to give us an upcoming view of, of what's coming, uh, what projects OBJ is working on. What can uh, our OBJ uh, readers and viewers listen, uh, look forward to, Peter? So there is a date that our audience should circle in their calendars, which is Wednesday, May 20th. We'll be hosting a live and interactive uh, podcast on what employers need to know as they look to reopen uh, their operations and, uh, and start to bring their, uh, their employees back to work. So we'll be presenting uh, this, uh, this podcast uh, in partnership with our sponsor, Eamon Harden, a uh, Ottawa-based uh, labour and employment law firm, uh, exploring uh, issues such as how to recall uh, employees that were placed on a temporary layoff, accommodation issues as well as uh, health and safety. So for more information on that one, you can visit uh, the events section on obj.ca. And one other uh, project that, uh, that we're really excited about is that uh, next week we're going to be publishing the, uh, the next edition of our OBJ regional newsletter. Uh, this is really, really exciting for OBJ because uh, earlier this year we expanded our editorial mandate uh, beyond uh, our uh, traditional focus of the National Capital Region and uh, started to cover the wider business community across eastern Ontario. So keep an eye out on your uh, inbox. If you're not already subscribed, please do uh, visit obj.ca to subscribe to our newsletters because we'll be uh, publishing uh, that, uh, that special report uh, next week. Thanks for that, Peter. And uh, we continue to get great feedback on OBJ Regional. So thanks for the work you're doing on that. So listen, that's all the time we have for this week. Keep on connecting, please, with OBJ on web, social, video, and audio podcast. And a reminder that uh, you can now find the audio version uh, of our videos on Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. So that's it. Uh, I'm Michael Curran uh, signing off for Peter Cavessi and David Sally. Thanks for joining us again. See you next week.